Well, Father, today as we get into your word and as we move on in this series about your leadership, about giving governance to every area of our heart and life, I just pray that you would open our hearts, help us to hear what you are saying to us in this moment. Help us, Lord, to press into the things that you're giving us. Lord, I know that sometimes we hear scripture and it just goes in one ear or out the other. Uh, I, I think of the passage in Ezekiel, Lord, where Ezekiel, you told Ezekiel, the people love your words, but they don't listen to them. Lord, we don't want to be like that. We want to hear your words, but we want to walk out and say, God, change my life, reorder my life. Lord, this whole series is about learning to align our hearts with you in every dimension of our lives. And I pray today, God, that you would speak to us and show us what you're telling us. In Jesus' name, amen. What I'm going to share with you today, uh, we're going to talk about our emotions under the Lordship of Christ. Uh, That's the fourth key. And I have to tell you, I don't remember ever in my life growing up in the church uh, hearing a message on this, and yet it is so clearly in Scripture, and I wonder why we never talked about that. Uh, Paul talks about it. Uh, Peter talks about it. The people that God used to record Scripture bring it up. It's all through Scripture. But let's talk about what it means to bring our emotions under the Lordship of Christ. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 17, says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Now understand, most of the church at this point was still Jewish. So their word for unbeliever was Gentile. So what he's saying here, he says, You must no longer live as the unbelievers do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding. They're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. Sin affects our spirit. And man, really, uh, mankind, men and women, are made in the image of God. We are tripartite beings. We are body, soul, and spirit. The Greek words that correspond to that, the body is the soma. If you ever heard the term psychosomatic, soma is part of that. Soma comes from that. It's, it talks about our physical, our corporal body. Then there's the suke, the, uh, our, our mind, our will, and emotions. It's the part of us that feels. It's the part of us that reasons. It's our will that makes a decision. I'm going to believe this. I'm not going to believe this. That's the psyche or the suke. And of course, we get the word psychology, psyche, other words that we use. And then there's the word pneuma, which means spirit, pneumatic. Uh, It's the part of us that responds to God. It's the part of us that God put in us when he breathed into man. And man became a living being uh, that allows us to communicate and be in touch with God. It also opens us up to the spiritual world. There is a very real spiritual world out there. Uh, that we can experience. I was talking to somebody not in this church, another part of the country this week, and uh, we were talking about how you can open spiritual doors and have spiritual experiences that have nothing to do with God. But once you open that door, you better watch out what comes through the door. The scripture tells us that God created us to be in spiritual communion with him. And we need to be very careful about uh, what we open our lives up to. Of course, if you're in the word of God, uh, that's what keeps you uh, pure and pure and holy in that sense. We talk a lot about the spirit in the church, but I want to talk a little bit more today about the soul. I want to talk about that, uh, that suke, that our mind and our will and our emotions, because God created us with emotions. God is an emotional God. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. 
What does that mean? You can make the Holy Spirit feel uh, frustrated with you. There's an anger there. God becomes angry. He's, thank God he is slow to anger and abounding in love. Isn't that what Scripture tells us? But, we, but God experiences emotions. He experiences joy over us. I think it's in, uh, I think it's Zephaniah, and I don't quote me on this, where God delights over us and re- shouts over us. He rejoices over us with shouts of joy. Have you ever, uh, as a parent or a grandparent, had your grandchild, your, your niece, your nephew, somebody like that, do something really amazing, and you're just so delighted. You just get up and you go, yeah, and you just clap for them. That's the way God feels about you. He wants you to understand that he loves you, that he's delighted about you. Now, when we grieve him, he doesn't say, that's it, I'm going to wipe them out because I just, you know, my grandkids get two chances, and then I'll never let them into my house again. Think about that, okay? God loves us. He, he, he's cheering for us. He's not out to get us, but we can grieve him. We can displease him, and he wants us to learn to align our hearts with him, to be sensitive to him, to be tender to him. And God also wants us to learn to realign our emotions with him. Emotions are a very important part of us. We're going to talk about it in a little bit, but I want you to think about this. Jesus moved with compassion, healed them. How many times does it say that Jesus was moved by compassion? Even though he was a human being and he was in spirit, he was the very son of God. The Bible says that he, he did not, you know, he was, he was very God, a very God. And yet he experienced human emotion and it moved him the right direction. So take that as a clue today where we need to go. Our emotions need to move us toward God. Our emotions need to move us in obedience to God instead of away from God. Now, you know, I've shared with you my struggles over the year with road rage. And when I say road rage, I don't think I've ever really chased anybody down. Okay, don't get I I don't want to paint pictures like that. But it's the feelings that I feel in my heart. It's the thoughts that run through your head that you want to run him down. Okay, it's those things. And we all get those, don't we? So when do our emotions start to lead us to obedience to God instead of leading us away from God and betraying us and causing us to do things that have nothing to do with God? When our emotions are out of control, when our emotions are not aligned with what God wants to do, we're in trouble. How can we learn to bring our emotions under the lordship of Christ? And how can we learn to allow our emotions to bring us to a place where we're doing a righteous thing, where there's a righteous result? Even anger has a purpose in our life. Do you know that? God uses anger for a purpose. It's there for a person. So let's, let's look at this. We're going to look at some principles quickly today. Number one, sin affects our spirit, but also our hearts, meaning our emotions, our will, and our, our intellect. Sin affects our spirit, but it also affects our emotions. It affects the way we think, the way that we feel. Unbelievers excuse me, live with a futility of their thinking. In other words, they're disconnected from God, so there's a futility. Their emotions will always lead them to the wrong place. It doesn't mean people are always wrong, but it does mean without God and God's plan and design, people will always end up being deceived in the wrong place. If you leave God out of the equation, you will end up in the wrong place. And we're seeing that happen with our country now. They keep making decisions to lock God out of the marketplace and out of our government, and they keep wondering where God is when bad things happen. Well, those two thoughts don't work together. The second thing is sin hardens our hearts. So when we sin, what it does is it hardens our hearts. What does it mean to harden our hearts? That means a closing up or a resistance to receiving spiritual revelation from God. The more we sin, the more we purposely uh, act in, in 
against God's wishes, against his design, against his character, uh, the less we're going to hear from the Lord. Eventually, we stop hearing from God altogether. Choosing to live contrary to God's will and character has consequences. It leads to spiritual blindness and a life cut off from God. The result is that instead of living in obedience to the Holy Spirit by our spirit, the result is that we live by our physical senses and emotions and our spirit is dead. Most people live a very soulish life. They live whatever their five senses tell them to do. For the, in the extreme, it's the bumper sticker philosophy of life that says if it feels good, do it. If it's going to feel good, if it's going to be something that I enjoy, I'm going to do it. I don't care what it costs. I don't care what I do to other people. I'm just going to live my life and that's, that's what I'm going to do. So living a soulish life is not where a Christian wants to be. And unfortunately, living a soulish life leads a lot of people in its wake that are hurt. Because when we live by our own desires, it usually conflicts with someone else's desires and someone else's emotions. Have you noticed that? If we're living according to the will of God and we're obeying Him by following the leading of the Holy Spirit, our emotions will lead us to the right place. Now, I've got to tell you something here, and this is going to be a revelation to us that don't look up on the screen. It's not in my notes, but I'm, and I'll, I'll get the notes out to you and you can look at those later. This is what I'm going to tell you. Most Christians I know live more by their emotions than by the leading of the Holy Spirit. Let me say it again. Most Christians I know live more by their emotions than by the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I see lives that are like this, Christian lives that are up and down, up and down. When something happens that throws people for a loop and, and their emotions lead them somewhere, all of a sudden they make all these decisions based on their emotions and then they cry out to God saying, God, help me. I even know people that pray and they think they're hearing from the Lord, but they're not really hearing from the Lord. They're living by soulish information and they're following the desires of their own heart. So please pay attention to what I'm saying today. I think this is a very important message. We as Christians need to grow up and not be tossed to and fro. It doesn't say that in Ephesians 4, if you go back there earlier. It says these people will be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by everything that blows along, by everything that comes a certain way, and they'll just be totally tossed on on the sea. I uh, heard from one of our uh, ministries that we partner with, Shane, uh, today, uh, or yesterday, excuse me, was telling me that there is a ministry that has come that has literally polarized the entire country in a matter of three days. And uh, I won't mention any names or whatever, but he said essentially, he said anybody that is walking in the Spirit knows that what this person is saying is false. And yet half the churches, all these people are going out and it's very soulish ministry and it's people that are collecting a lot of money from people. And he said, Pastor Joe, he said, how does this happen? He said, please pray for us right now. He said, our country is being savaged by this and division has entered the church. And I was really praying for him. And, and folks, can we grow up here? I don't know what's, I'll go back to last week's message on money. This past week, I read about one evangelist who's raising $53 million for his third jet. And this is what he said, by the way. He said, if Jesus were around today, he would not come into Jerusalem in a donkey. He would land on one of these jets. And this is the model he told me to get. That is so egregious because Jesus entered Jerusalem with a heart of humility, purposely riding a donkey, the foal of a donkey. 
you tell me that guy not only violated scripture, and I've seen some of the most egregious twisting of scripture to get money out of people. That's why sometimes as a pastor, and God's dealt with me, he said, you need to stop not talking about money just because you experienced that growing up. You know, there was a lot of chicanery in the church. So sometimes I avoided. He said, teach people the right way about money. There's another guy, and I will mention his name. His name is Jim Baker, and he has been in jail for things in the past. But I've got to tell you, I have all these Christians saying he's selling this really good emergency food and telling us there's a prophecy that one of the safest places when the hard times come are going to be in the hills of Tennessee where he's selling these uh, properties. If people in the church fall for that again, because some of my best friends that I love very much fell for it the first time and lost a lot of money with him, can I tell you, stop getting pulled in with this stuff. One of my greatest, I'm off on a tangent, he's on a tear, watch out. (laughs) But this is okay, you need to hear this. One of my greatest challenges as a pastor is correcting the wrongs of what people hear on TV and radio. And people come to me and they, and they want to sit down with me and say, well, I heard this on the radio. Isn't this true? And I, you know, I have to undo. Be very careful what you hear. Discern the life of the people that you are hearing from. How are they living? How are they managing their lives? If you haven't read the story about Benny Hinn, and his son, son-in-law, Michael Koulianos, told us this story at a conference I was at. Benny Hinn had a vision. And he ended up standing before the Lord. And essentially what happened is the Lord said, you're not coming in. Your life has been found wanting. And he woke up from the vision and he began to repent. And he has now publicly repented of many of the things he taught in the 90s, which heals my heart. Because there were things that were prophesied. There were things that were said. And it's time for the church to grow up. Now, why am I saying all this and why did I go off on this? Because a lot of people thinking they've been led of the Spirit are led by their emotions and they follow these people. They'll tell me God spoke to them. Well, I don't think God spoke to them. I think their emotions spoke to them and they're following the flesh. We will never grow up as a church until we can learn to discern the difference between the Spirit and between our sinful nature, between our flesh. Sometimes the voice of our desires, the voice of our emotions can speak pretty loudly in our life. And we can think that it's God. We can think it looks good. We can think it feels good. One of the famous last words of people I've heard before financial disaster is this, but we're going to be able to give a lot of money to the kingdom of God if this thing goes right, baby. Be careful about that. Okay, and I've got to confess to you, I've been taken in in the past. Not for a while. Hallelujah. But I've been taken in and I'm warning you about that. Please be careful about that. It's not that our emotions are bad. God's created our emotions, but we're not designed to be led by our emotions. We are called to be led by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.14 says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the children of God. Our emotions are good, but they need to be under the Lordship of Christ in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. We can get very emotional sometimes. I shared this story, but this is a good example. I'll share it again. Years ago, uh, it was was right after 9-11, I was listening to uh, Rush Limbaugh. Don't say anything. 
I listen to just occasionally going to and from places. I'll, you know, look for news or whatever. I'm listening to Rush Limbaugh, and he's playing this song about bombing Iraq. Bomb, 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 bomb Iraq. You know, and all, I, all these people, including a lot of Christians, are getting excited. We're going to go after our enemies and this and that. And all of a sudden, that little voice of the Holy Spirit in my head says, I love the people of Iraq. Every one of them has an eternal soul. Jesus died for them. Turn this man off because right now he does not have my spirit. And I'm not saying Russ doesn't say good things. He does sometimes. But all of us are a mixture. And God began to convict me and said, this is where we need to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I see Christians getting off the path all the time. Getting led here and getting led there. Is this making sense to you about emotions? We have to be careful what appeals to our emotions uh, in a moment. A hardening of our hearts. This is number two. A hardening of our hearts toward God leads to a loss of spiritual sensitivity and giving over to sensuality. Now, sensuality, when we usually think of sensuality, we think of sexuality, but here it's a broader term. Sensuality literally means living according to our emotional whims and physical desires. So sensuality could mean giving full vent to your anger every time you feel anger. Well, I'm angry. I'm just going to go off on people. I have a right to be angry. Do you? Or have you just defiled a lot of people? What does the Spirit say about that? A life of of sensuality means there's no higher guiding principle like God's truth and the leading of the Spirit to restrain us. In effect, in the extreme, people tend toward greed, lust, anger, and rage, and they just let their emotions drive and rule them. So I'll get angry, but I'll be nice to them next week, and they'll kind of get the message, everything's okay. And and it's interesting, as people abandon the God of, of the Bible in our society, as they stop believing in a higher principle that's outside of them, that is truth, you're going to see people more and more just led by their emotions and do whatever they want to do. I'm seeing it in the way people drive. How many of you are seeing that? And I have to say to myself, I hope, we, we have to understand that we live right now in a nation of people that are adults, but in, in their hearts, in their emotional life, they're children. There are a lot of people out there that have not grown up. They can be 50 years old in their body, and they can be a child. Ephesians 4.20 Paul says this, That, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ, you were taught in Him in accordance with truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, to put on the new self and be created created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Our walk with Jesus Christ is a walk of salvation followed by a continuing transformation in our life. And the work is never fully done. We will continue be being continued to be conformed to the image of Christ for all of our lives. So I'm not perfect as a pastor, but I hope I'm better than I was last year. Did you get the message there? Like Paul says, I haven't yet attained. I haven't yet fully attained, but I'm forgetting what lies behind. Pressing on. In the Lord Jesus Christ, this is out of Philippians, we need to continue to press on in obedience to the Lord, striving to give up old patterns, having our minds renewed by God's truth. It means an intentional putting off of the old way. And by the way, if you're not intentional about this, it's not going to happen. I, don't, I can't tell you how many people I know that have had an authentic 
salvation experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. They've been saved. They've been born again. They even have had these emotional experiences at church where the power of God's fallen on them and they fall over. And by the way, I endorse that. I love being overwhelmed by God's power. This morning, I had three people praying in my office. I almost fell over. I was thinking, man, if my head hits the desk, this better be you, Lord. These guys were praying for me, and I started going like this, and I thought, when God overwhelms you, that's awesome. But I've got to tell you something. You can keep having emotional experiences and still not grow up. And that's what I saw in the 90s. People kept wanting God to touch them. People wanted God to bless them. People, and, And we had all these revivals going on, but I didn't see discipleship happening, and people weren't growing up. So can we have these powerful manifestations of God's love where we encounter Him and grow up? I feel like the Lord is saying it's okay to seek Him and it's okay to press in and it's okay to be filled with the joy of the Lord, but there there comes a point where we need to grow up and we need to grow into Him. And that needs to be intentional. He's saying there that we need to put off the former way of life. Whose responsibility is it to put off? Well, God, if you want to do it in me, go ahead and do it, but I'm not going to cooperate. What the Lord is saying is, I want you to obey me. God, if you want to know one thing that really turns God's heart and makes him full of joy, it's when we obey him. That's what brings joy to God's heart, when we obey him. And he can work in us and do the work that he wants to do in us. It means having our minds renewed. It means having our emotions restored to become like God in every way. And this is a continuous process. Now let's move on because Paul gets very practical here. And he's telling us now in the next verses, the next, actually the next chapter and a half, specific ways that God wants us to be transformed. This is all context. The way we interpret Scripture is in context, and now he's going to unfold more of what he wants to tell us. He says, therefore, each of us must put off falsehood. Let me interpret that for you. Stop lying to yourself and other people. And speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Does he say don't get angry? What does he say? Let your anger lead you the right way. And I'll talk about that in a moment. He says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, and don't grieve the devil, or don't give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but they must work doing something useful with their hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Why does God bless us? To share with those in need. The Apostle Paul makes the statement about being transformed, and then he specifically begins to identify areas that he's talking about. He says, stop lying or being false and speak truth to one another. Now, we recognize the bold-faced lies that we tell sometimes, right? You know why most people lie? It's a defensive mechanism. They don't want to face the consequences of what truth is going to bring them. They don't want to disappoint people. I remember uh, years ago having an international student in my house, and they said, you need to know something about our culture. We would rather lie to people than disappoint them. I won't tell you what culture that is, but it's more than one, I'll tell you that. We would rather tell you what you want to hear and make you feel good for the moment than tell you the truth and disappoint you. I'm reading a book now uh, that I haven't read for years. It's the book Boundaries, and I got some of them. There's one book left out there. There was one I came in this morning, and I'll tell you, it was 20 years ago I first read that book. I'm reading it again, and it's really hitting me. And I want to uh, read a, uh, just a, an excerpt out of this book, and this is Sherry. This is Sherry's life. This is a 24-hour period in the life of Sherry, and she is talking about her relationships. I want you to see if this book, Boundaries, hits a nerve. 
She says, let's see, fix breakfast, pack two lunches, finish sewing Amy's costume for the school play. That will be a trick, finishing sewing the costume before the car- carpool picks her up at 7.45 a.m. Sherry thought regretfully about last night. She had planned to work on Amy's costume, then using her talents to make a special day for her little girl. But her mother had dropped over unexpectedly. Good manners dictated that she play hostess, and another evening was shot. The memories of her attempts to salvage the time weren't pretty. Trying to be diplomatic, Sherry artfully told her mother, You can imagine how much I enjoy your surprise visits, Mom, but I was wondering, would you mind if I work on Amy's costume while we talk? Sherry cringed inwardly, correctly anticipating her mother's response. Sherry, you know I'd be the last to intrude on your time with your family. Sherry's mother, widowed for 12 years, had elevated her widowhood to the status of martyrdom. I mean, since your father died, it's been such an empty time. I still miss our family. How could I deprive you of that for yourself? I'll bet I find out, Sherry thought to herself. That's why I can understand why you don't bring Walt and the children to see me much anymore. How could I be entertaining? I'm just a lonely old lady who gave her entire life to her children. Who would want to spend any time with me? No, Mom. No, no, no. Sherry quickly joined the emotional minuet she and her mom had been dancing for decades. That's not what I meant at all. I mean, it's so special having you over. Goodness knows, with our schedule, we'd like to visit more, but we just haven't been able to. That's why I'm so glad you took the initiative. Lord, don't strike me dead for this little lie, she prayed silently. In fact, I can do the costume any old time, Sherry said. Forgive me for this lie, too. Now, why don't we make us some coffee? Her mother sighed, all right, if you insist. But I just hate to think I'm intruding. The visit lasted well into the night, and by the time her mother left, Sherry felt absolutely crazy. But she justified it to herself. At least I've helped to make her lonely day a little brighter. Then a pesky voice piped up, if you helped so much, why was she still talking about her loneliness when she left? Trying to ignore the thought, Sherry went to bed. Now, it'd be bad enough if this was the only relationship where Sherry lied to herself. But if you follow her through the 24 hours, she lies to her boss, who keeps getting out of control and puts things on her at the last minute. And she says, it's okay. And then she lies to the women's ministry leader from her church who said, somebody couldn't make the small group thing at the retreat this weekend And uh, can you do it? And Sherry already has so much on her calendar that she can't do anything, but she lies again. The problem is, and by the way, I really think that the reason why he says speak the truth in love and then he deals with anger next is they're related. Many times we have a lot of anger and it's inward anger in our lives because we allow people to stomp our boundaries. Let me give you a clue about anger. One of the reasons why people get angry is you just crash their boundaries. So what we do is we recognize the big bold-faced lies in our life, but guess what? We lie to ourselves a lot about relationships. We lie to our spouse when we allow them to do things in our life and we're afraid of being rejected. So we make decisions because we don't want to be rejected, so we tell them what they want to hear. We lie to our friends when we are hurting and we don't tell them the truth. Can you see the little lies that are here? And he says, stop lying to one another, and speak the truth in love. What would our relationships be like if we handled that all the way around? What would our relationships be like if Sherry told her mother, Mom, I love you very much, but you're being manipulative right now. And my first commitment is to take care of my daughter, and I only have so much time, and I made a commitment to do that. If you'd like to stay here and help, that would be great, but I have to do this tonight. That's hard to hear. It's hard to do, isn't it? 
But a lot of us live lives of quiet desperation out of control. We let other people's dysfunction become our dysfunction because we're lying to ourselves and we're lying to them. Now it's really quiet in here. But is it true? I've lived it. I've done that. As a matter of fact, we are conditioned, most of us are conditioned in the families we grew up to be, to be dysfunctional. And we really don't learn to function in the way that God has called us to, and we need to do that. Russell Willingham from the book Relational Masks says this. He said, I've discovered something after years of working with people. Almost every Christian struggles with dishonesty at some level. The scary thing is we can see it clearly in others, but we miss it in ourselves. Scripture assumes that each of us is fighting our own battles with telling the truth. It says the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Jeremiah 17.9. And then he says, this is Colossians 3, 9 and 10. He says, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Why does Paul keep talking about this? Because it's a human conditional problem. One of the reasons Adam and Eve get hammered by the devil, I always go back to chapter 2 of Genesis, chapter 3, because this is where this pattern begins, is they weren't honest with one another. Hey, Adam, I could use a little help over here. I'm talking to this snake. Did you ever talk to a snake? Good. I got a call years ago. It was one of the best calls of my life as a dad. My daughter called. She said, Dad, I just found a snake in the backyard. I was going to panic, but I remember what you told me. Don't panic. Do the right thing. So I wanted you to listen. This is before they had the camera thing. She said, I've got the phone on speaker, and I've got a hoe, and I'm going to kill it. And I hear her in the backyard yelling, and I hear her. And at the end, she's going, yeah, yes, I conquered the snake. <laughs> May it rest in pieces. I, was, I went home. I said, Julie, I'm so proud. I think she was 14 years old. I said, I'm so proud of you. I said, I think every woman at the core has this mistrust of serpents like that. So I understand that. He goes on to say this. He says, genuine Christians care deeply about truth. Most of us would never want to lie. But if, what if lying was so tricky and so clever? You indulged in it all the time without even knowing it. What if you found out that you were lying even when you thought you were the paragon of Christian virtue? What if, like many, you're falling into lying without even realizing? Would you want to know? The whole issue of truth is a big one to the Lord. He even claims the truth as one of his names. Additionally, he says the only thing that can give us freedom is truth. Most of us know the basics of evangelical faith, and we don't waver on those too much, but I found lots of solid Bible-believing people who do have blind spots that keep them from seeing some of their thoughts and behaviors clearly. Could it be that major reason for our lack of freedom and power in our Christian life is we're largely unaware of those strongholds in ourselves and the way that we lie? This book is excellent, by the way. It talks about eight different masks that we wear in dealing with other people. And if this is a great book to go back to. We may do that again someday. It was a great study that we did. Sherry's life, out of the book Boundaries, will never change until she can learn to tell herself the truth and tell others the truth. She will not be spiritually healthy until she can stop lying. Having a healthy marriage until she can talk honestly with her husband. Like many of our spouses, we, 
And, and this, is what I, this is the pattern that I see, especially among Christians. We complain to other people about our spouses. And we don't talk to them. We don't say, honey, I need to honestly, we need to sit down and we need to talk about this. When you do this, this hurts me. Or I'm feeling this way. I may not even have a rational reason for feeling the way I'm feeling, but I'm feeling this way and I need you to help me with it and I need you to respond in a good way here. That's speaking the truth in love. Because of emotional wounds in her past, Sherry is vulnerable and she's trapped into old patterns of ungodly thinking. Can I say something to us this morning? Probably every one of us here has wounds from the past somewhere that cause us to act a certain way. And wounds, just like a wound when you're swimming, if you are in the ocean and you're bleeding from a wound, sharks are drawn to that. Demonic forces are drawn to wounds in our heart and they want to manipulate our weakness to take us captive in doing what God does not want us to do. You can hear it in the heart of the young lady that wants to be loved by her father so much, never was, and is vulnerable to the way that she interacts with men. Because there's a gaping wound in her heart. You can hear it from the child that was never loved by their mother or father or was abused. That now goes through life looking for acceptance in unacceptable ways that sets them up for failure. Until Sherry can let God renew her mind and transform her heart, she can't grow as a disciple. I don't know about you, but this is, I, this is a powerful word from the Lord. God is speaking to us today. In verse 26, it says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. What is the Bible telling us there? The Bible is telling us, first of all, that anger is not bad, but it needs to bring us to a godly resolve. And one of the things that Scripture is saying is when you're angry, don't let it go a long time without dealing with it. Because anger that is not dealt with will become bitterness. It will lead to rage. Can I tell you how many households, Christian households I know where rage is a problem? People say, well, it only happens several times a year. I have a friend who's a Christian counselor. He says, rage is a gauge. Rage is an indication of what's going on in your heart. And if there's rage there, it means a number of things. It can mean a a number of things. To allow anger to simmer in our hearts opens a door to the demonic realm. You're vulnerable. When you are angry, you are vulnerable. It can lead to deception. It can lead to rage. It can lead to ungodly behavior. It can lead to bitterness. And I guarantee you what Hebrews chapter, I think it's chapter 11 says, that when there is a root of bitterness, that's unresolved anger, it will defile many. Unhealed emotions can lead to sin and eventually to spiritual bondage. Dealing with our anger is one of the keys to growing in spiritual maturity as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Having emotions isn't sinful. The question is, where will those emotions lead us? This is from Peter Scazzaro, the emotionally healthy Christian. He says this, Allow yourself to experience the full weight of your feelings. Allow them without censoring them. Then you can reflect and thoughtfully decide what to do with them. 
Trust God to come to you through them. This is the first step in the hard work of discipleship. Do you ever think of learning to manage your emotions as a big part of your discipleship? But it is. Anger is an indication that a boundary has been crossed, a spiritual or emotional wound discovered, indication of stress, an attempt from letting others get close to you, an indication that you feel a sense of loss, a device that shuts down communication. You know, some people rage because they just don't want to deal with what's in their heart. So they, if they intimidate everybody else around them away, they can continue to stay in their pain. And believe me, it works. You shut down communication real well when rage happens. What's the appropriate thing as Christians when somebody around us is experiencing anger? Allow them to express themselves as long as they're not hurting somebody else. But say, this is an indication that something is going in your heart. We need to pray right now that God will show you the right way to deal with this anger. When I used to get angry, when people cut me off in traffic or whatever, some guy did it on 271 the other day. And what really bothered me is he almost took me out into other cars. I hate when people make decisions like that and they're on the phone and I get really mad and the Lord said, pray for him. When you start praying for people, the anger kind of goes away and, you, and, and it goes into prayer and you go, you know, Lord, I don't know what's going on in this guy's life, but I just pray right now that whatever is happening in him, that you would help him. And you begin to pray and all of a sudden God begins to drain the anger out of you. Sometimes it's more complex, especially with people that are close to us, and you need to sit down with somebody that can help you sort out the feelings. Getting a counselor is a good thing. Having a friend that's mature that you can trust to listen to you and say, listen, I don't know what's going on, but I have this anger in me, and I've got to talk about it, and I'm not sure what to do. What's not appropriate is when you're angry with somebody, and you say, I need to process with, with about five or ten people in the church. I'm really angry with Pastor Joe about his message last Sunday and the one before that and the one before that. Can I talk to you about it? I mean, no, we do this, don't we? If I just work it out with five or ten people, then I'll know a little bit better how to approach that person. That's unbiblical. The Bible says that if you have been offended by somebody, you need to go to them just between the two of you. If you go outside of that boundary, all of a sudden you brought a lot of people in, and guess what? You fulfilled Hebrews 11 where it says that Bitterness will actually defile many. And now all those people have to reconcile with the person that you poison. Because even after you've made it up with that person, they're still thinking, that dog, I can't believe what they did to my friend Steve. I can't believe what they did to this person. Because you're angry at them. Is it true? We have, to, we have to be careful how we manage our emotions. Let me re- read one last thing, and I think we're going to stop here. This is also from Peter Scazzaro. He says, when we deny our pain, our losses, and feelings year after year, we become less and less human, and we transform slowly into empty shells with smiley faces painted on them. And that's where the spiritual masks come from, by the way. We put on a mask and pretend we're okay. Sad to say, that is the fruit of much of our discipleship in churches. But when I begin to allow myself to feel a wider range of emotions, including sadness, depression, fear, and anger, A revolution in my spirituality was unleashed, and I soon realized that a failure to appreciate the biblical place of feelings within our larger Christian lives has done extensive damage, keeping free people in Christ in slavery. You can be a born-again, blood-bought son or daughter of the Lord Jesus Christ and still have whole areas of your life captive to sin and captive because of emotional wounds and spiritual strongholds. 
And by the way, spiritual strongholds and emotional wounds go hand in hand. We're finding that you deal with a stronghold, you also have to help heal the heart. If you heal the heart, you usually have to deal with a stronghold. They go hand in hand, and they're mentioned together in Scripture. And I think we're going to talk a little bit more about this next week. Can we just take a moment and let's pray? Let's just reflect on the Word this morning. Lord, sometimes when I go to the dentist, I know that he's going to tell me things that I might not want to hear, like you need a filling. And there's some temporary discomfort involved, but it means staying healthy. I feel like today is one of those messages, Lord. We come to you and, Lord, you turn the light on and you examine our hearts and your light just probes our feelings and things that are happening within us. Lord, I just pray that this would be a moment where we can determine in our hearts, Lord, if emotions are ruling us, if emotions are out of control, if there are patterns of anger, patterns of rage, if there's a pattern of lying in our life where we are deceiving ourselves and we're afraid to tell people how we really feel. So we're lying to them and we're lying to you and we're lying to ourselves. God, I pray that you would help us to get out of this trap. Lord, I just pray this morning that you would work in our hearts, God, in the name of Jesus Christ. We need you, Lord. We want you to redeem every part of our lives, God. And that includes all the things that we experience. Lord, it's said that you carried our sorrows, that you were a man of grief, that you were acquainted with grief. You didn't just come to set us free from sin, but you came to heal our hurts. You told your disciples, Lord, there in the Garden of Gethsemane that because of their grief, they had become tired. You understood that they were going through a time of grief, but you told them that they would come through it. And yet, Lord, for many of us, we don't, we don't process our emotions the way that you want us to. Lord, we need your help today. How many would say, I just, just raise your hand and say, I really need help in, in, in one of these areas in my emotions. Can we just all stand together? Hallelujah. Thank you, God. And I want to ask for the prayer team, if you would be available after service here, if anybody needs prayer about emotions. And I know that there are lots of things we could pray for, but uh, if people uh, really need prayer for that area today, uh, if you would just be open just to give them space for that prayer time. That would be great. Father, I just pray right now, a lot of people around the room raised their hand a moment ago. Lord, this is not a quick, easy fix. This is not one of those things where you just touch us and it's over. This is one of those things that we work out over time. And I just pray that your light would shine in our hearts. Show us now those areas, Lord, where we have to stop lying and start developing honest communication. Father, for people that are carrying unhealed wounds, Lord, bring us to a place where our hearts can be healed before you. Even this morning, Lord, as people come for prayer, I pray that you would bring healing to hearts in the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, let this message resound in us, God. Help us to walk out in our discipleship, in our faith walk with you, Lord, a heart with emotions that lead us to you instead of leading us away from you, God. Help us, we pray. Thank you, Jesus. Bless you, God. Bless you, God. Well, let's just go and take this message to heart. I really feel like the Lord wants us to camp here as a church and press into this, and I'm going to share more about this. But Father, go with us now. Let your word...
Just rest in our hearts, Lord. What you've begun in us, I pray that you would bring to completion, that you would show us, Lord, how you want us to grow and resolve things. We ask, Father, for your help in this. In Jesus' name, amen.